0: It's my privilege, actually, to introduce a new series that we're starting called Disciples on Mission. So just before the summer, we finished talking about discipleship, but we haven't finished doing discipleship. It's going to take the rest of our lives to discover what it means to be like Jesus. So we never stop discipleship. And there's going to be lots of reminders of discipleship in the new series that we're just starting. And so what I want to do is I literally want to launch off... Uh, with the first part of the series and then we are not quite sure where we're going next because I want to do a short bit of teaching I want to tell you an amazing story and then I want to prophesy over lots of people and we've got lots of other people who've been praying this week as well uh, to prophesy over people as well so are you okay with that does that sound like fun A little more enthusiasm would be good. Thank you. Okay, so here we go. We're going to start this tiny section of teaching in Matthew chapter 9. And I'm really believing uh, that God is going to do a work amongst us in terms of equipping us as disciples of Jesus for mission. That's what we're going to be talking about. So we start at the end of chapter 9 because Matthew changes tack at the end of chapter 9. So we're just following what he's doing. He's just had this wonderful collection of miracle stories, uh, which we will refer back to as we go through the series a bit. And... uh, And also his sayings about discipleship and about this wonderful kingdom message, the Beatitudes. we spent quite a bit of time on that. Uh, But there's this slight change of direction where it starts to focus on the ministry and the mission of Jesus and his disciples. So that's that's just the context of where we are right now. So if you just turn to Matthew chapter 9, if you've not got there already. We're going to just look at verses 35 to 38, which... Thank you, Mark, has already quoted uh, just a few moments ago. So let's just read that passage together. So Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Okay, so the point that we're at now shows us what discipleship is for. Because, you see, discipleship is not about a self-help program. You know, we read these self-help books. I've benefited from them over the years, and they do help a little, don't they? But discipleship will help some of you with some of yourself, but that's not primarily what discipleship's about. Neither is, is it a model for self-improvement. Of course, when we do discipleship, there is self-improvement, there is progress, because Jesus does us good. Did you know? He does us good, doesn't he? Yeah. But it's not just about that. Being discipled by Jesus will always lead to one place, and that is to mission. The mission of Jesus. So it says here in this passage, this is the Rob Davy version, that he looked out on the crowds and he was moved by what he saw. He looked out, he saw the people and something happened inside his heart and he was moved by what he saw. He could see that they were harassed and helpless. The consequences of Roman occupation, no doubt, and the overbearing religious leaders. He says that they were like sheep without a shepherd and that's what the religious leaders were meant to be. They were meant to be the shepherds of Israel but they were like sheep uh, without a shepherd. And these religious leaders had nothing for the people. There was no leading to green pastures. There was no restoring of their souls, as we see in Psalm 23. And so he turned to his disciples at this point and he said, you've got to pray. Look on this. Look at this. Lift up your eyes, he says in another passage. Lift up your eyes and see. Look. Look and see what's going on. He says there's a big harvest out there amongst these kinds of people. There's a big harvest out there amongst the people that are harassed, amongst the people that are, uh, are damaged and hurt. There's a big harvest, but there's not enough workers in the field to gather them in. And from the moment that Jesus says these words to his disciples and he lifts their eyes and he shows them what's happening amongst the people, he begins to make them responsible for the mission of with him and through them. And at the same time, he begins to make them part of the solution. Pray. He says, pray. That's the first thing. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers. And guys, we need to pray. When we look at and we see what's happening in our world, when we look around uh, our communities, when we look around our workplaces, we need to pray. That needs to be a response in our hearts. We need to pray. Because, you know, there is still a great harvest in the field. I love the fact that it says it's God's field. It's not my field. It's not your field. It's God's field. It's still there. There's still a big field out there. It's still his field to gather people into. And he's got a field for us too, you know. He's got a field for you where you live, in your community, in your workplace, wherever you go. And there's a harvest that's ready to be brought in. There's no lack of people in the world who are harassed and helpless, do you know that? So we need to pray. And do you know it's not difficult to pray. It's not difficult to pray when you look at and you see need. In in fact, it's a kind of an instinctive response when you see trouble and difficulty. When, When you watch the news at the moment and you see the migrant crisis, we were in Italy recently. And I've got to say, my heart was broken for some of their stories and seeing some of these people. They were definitely harassed and helpless. And even America right now, you know, that whole area in the West Indies has been hit by a hurricane. You, you look at it and you see, and you're moved, aren't you? And it, you, you feel a groan come up and say, Lord God, have mercy, do something. It's not hard to pray. It's not hard to groan to the Lord of the harvest. The question is, do we see? It's actually harder to see with the eyes of Jesus. I mean, do we see the lostness of the people? It's difficult. Sometimes people seem to have it so together. Do you know what I mean? They seem, it's all working for them. It's all going fine. Do we see? Do we see that they're harassed and helpless? Or do we see the ones that God is actually leading us to, the ones he wants us to see? These people of peace, as we've talked about in the series we've just done. You see, our hearts can become hardened. I've talked to people who've lived in places where there's a lot of poverty. Alison, my wife, was in Brazil working amongst the favelas out there. And after a period of time, it becomes so overwhelming, you, you can't see with the same way. <laughs> you, you have to kind of harden yourself. And I've spoken to doctors as well who, who deal with illnesses that are tragic and that there has to come a kind of a moderating of the compassion to cope with the role. But we mustn't allow our hearts to be hardened by those that are lost, for those that are lost. Jesus needs us and I believe has for us, he wants us to pray, but he also wants to anoint our eyes again to see. And from that place to pray. And you see, when Jesus is talking about prayer in this context, he's not asking for any ordinary kind of prayer. You know, because it's easy to pray out of a place of sympathy. I feel bad about this. This is dreadful. It's not a bad place to start, but that's not where he wants us to end up. Jesus is looking for a particular kind of prayer here. As he leads his disciples, there's no sympathy. It says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And as he taught his disciples how to see, he was actually, there was something strategic going on, something prophetic going on. He was at this moment beginning to turn his disciples into workers. The disciples were being changed in their hearts, in their viewpoint as they began to see from disciples to workers. Jesus was leading them, you see, to pray for themselves, (laughs) to be the answer to their own prayers. Isn't that strange? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I don't know if Jesus deliberately intended that when he started out, or whether it came to him as they prayed together, as he said, come on, let's pray about this. Maybe it was at that point the Father whispered into his ear and said, Jesus, send them. Send them. (laughs) Give them the answer to their own prayers. Make them part of the solution. And he did. That's what he did in the very next chapter. Jesus sends out the twelve. He called his twelve disciples to them in Matthew 10, 1, And he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. You see, prayer from a heart of compassion not only makes it easy to pray, it also moves us to act. You know, I've been moved by many things, but I haven't always acted. But compassion has that dynamic about it, which not only causes you to pray, it also causes you to act to be part of the solution. Because you see, prayer not only moves the heart of God, it changes us. Did you know that? How often when you start to pray about something, you find that your own heart is changed. You start to think, well, okay, I'm praying about this, but what can I do about it? What can we do about this as a community? prayer not only appeals to God, it changes us. And we can even be part of the answer to our own prayers. How about that? That's a phenomenal thought. That you and I can be part of the answer to our own prayers. And I believe that as a church, we're at this point too. That this is the season we're going into. It's about turning disciples into workers for the kingdom. And over the next few months, some of what I want to talk about but for many, you know, even as you talk about these things, about mission and about telling people about Jesus, all kinds of concerns start to come into our minds, don't they? All sorts of little fears and the challenges. I mean, how can I do this? How can I? Have I got the time? What have I got to offer people? Actually, that's more common. Who am I? What have I got to offer people? People that are harassed and helpless. What kind of resources do they have? But get this, you know, in chapter 10, it says that Jesus, and we're going to look at this a bit more in the coming weeks, but Jesus sends out his disciples, and he tells them all the things not to take. I love that. He said to his disciples, I don't want you to take any money. It's not about your money. He says, I don't want you to take a bag. He says, I don't want you to take any extra clothes. Just go, because I've sent you. Just go, because I've sent you. Don't take any of your own resources, your own abilities... Your own physical aspects. Just go because I've sent you. Go in the authority that I've given you. And it's the same for us too. We're already sent, you know. The Great Commission has been spoken. We've already been sent. We've already been sent. And there's nothing else that we have to take. There's nothing else that we need to do. We just need to be because Jesus has sent us to live in the conviction of who we are now and what we've got. Who we are now in Christ and what we've got. And I think, uh, I think we all need reminding of this. I think we need to be reminded of what it is that we've got. What it is that we carry. Because I think we can so easily forget who we are. We forget that the, the significance of what God has deposited in us. As we get busy, as we get involved in life. And So today, I want to take some encouragement time to remind you and some weeks to encourage you about what you've got and who you are. I want, to, I want to do that. I want to speak encouragement over you, because I think so few of us have any real idea of what we carry. I do, because I spend time with Christians, and so often we put ourselves down and we get preoccupied with our own needs and our problems, and we forget who we are. Did you know that I'm at royalty? Did you know that I'm significant because Jesus loved me and died for me? Did you know that I'm powerful and that I have authority because of the power of the Holy Spirit that rests upon me and you? Do you know who on earth you are? I think we need to remind ourselves of that. And this is where I want to get to a story because here I'm I'm talking from experience. I don't know who I am half the time. I don't know what I'm doing. And we were on holiday in Italy. Did I say that already? (laughs) And uh, in the last day of our holiday, we had a a compelling uh, reminder of who we are. And I want to share this with you. And I'm not saying this to sort of brag about, look how amazing we are. Because actually, we were as shocked as you will be, probably. And we had no idea the effect that we were having upon the atmosphere of the swimming pool that we were sitting at one afternoon. And we were literally minding our own business when a family passed us and we noticed them because the father didn't look great. It didn't look like things were quite right. Um, he was very agitated. And there's a horde of children behind them. But he just didn't look in a good place. And we were in the swimming pool because it was very hot. And and it it was like within half an hour of us being there, this family had settled down. We'd settled down on the opposite side of the swimming pool. It's like they couldn't stay away from us. And, you know, when you're English, you want a bit of space. (laughs) All right. But this lady's half Italian. She doesn't get that. But she comes and invades our space in the swimming pool. Now, fortunately, there's one of those things, in the, so that you can't get past, you know, this is our lane, you <laughs> over there. <laughs> but she didn't take any notice of that. So not only did she talk to us continually, she then pressed in and over, came under, got her hair wet and everything... And stood right next to me. I mean, she is in a bathing costume. I'm in my shorts, looking my best. And she's touching me. She is that close to me. She's actually touching me. I'm starting to get a bit uncomfortable. And she's just talk, talk, talk. The kids are coming around. And we see the husband is coming back, forward, back. He's, going, he's looking for a bit. He's going away. He's coming back. He's curious. He doesn't know what's going on. And I then go for a little break and go for a walk around because I'm getting a bit uncomfortable because I'm English. And go back and find that she's in an even deeper conversation with Alison and the kids. And I I just, I don't understand what's happening other than I said to Alison, I think she's a person of peace. She can't stay away from us. And literally, she'd go away, and then she'd come back to us again, for some reason, make an excuse. And then she's just passing us, and she says, I I said to her, Oh, do you know if they take a card at the kiosk, or do I need cash? And she said, I'll go and find out. Like this. I thought, oh, my goodness, a person of peace who also serves us. We're going down the list here. You know, we've done this. So we look at each other again. Then she comes back and tells us, and then we all go up and get ice cream together, which is incredibly expensive in Italy. I've just got to say (laughs) that. And um, So the conversation kind of changes. It becomes a bit more personal, and she starts to tell us that her husband three years ago had had a tragic, near-fatal accident. He was knocked off his bike. Most of the bones in his body have been broken, and he's, he's got PTSD now. He, he just cannot function in a normal way. And she said, but it's a really weird thing. He, he can't stay away from you, and normally he doesn't speak to anybody. And she said to Alison, because by this time he's close to me, and talking and saying stuff, and she said, he doesn't talk to anybody. What, what, what's going on? You know, this is really unusual. And uh, and then we start to talk about, well, you know, so what do you do? What, what's your job? What's your, and then it comes to, what's your job? You know, I always dread that question. I try and think of clever answers, but in the end, I just said, look, I'm a pastor of a church. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't really say sorry. And, uh, and she said, oh, my goodness, that explains it. <laughs> I thought, all oh, right, okay, what is it? And she said, ever since we saw peace. And she said, and I really need that peace. And then her heart, she just breaks her heart and pours everything out. And she says how, you know, she's not a believer at all. She's a spiritual person. She's tried everything and got her husband in to see all kinds of people. She said, but he's talking to you and he's letting you touch him and everything and all kinds of stuff. This doesn't happen. There's something about you guys. And I thought, I don't have any idea. I had no idea. I thought it was just my good looks. (laughs) And the conversation then goes on to a more serious level, and we end up praying for them. This is literally at the side of the pool, three, four hours later. I mean, everything's been talked about. She said, before I came, she said, I don't believe, but I prayed. I said, God, please, I need a miracle, and I need to meet somebody who can help me. And she said, you've helped me. You have helped me this afternoon, thank you. And we ended up praying with them. And, oh, man, I I mean, you pray for charismatics, they know what to do, you know. They kind of, they go, or they fall over or something like that. This this guy doesn't know what to do. But he just goes. (laughs) The peace of God just comes on him in a phenomenal way. It's like he gets clothed with peace. And then I pray for her as well. I said, Do you mind if I touch you? And as soon as I touched her, she was set free from a torment that was tormenting her. And she said, I felt that. I felt that go, and I felt the peace come, come and see us. But as I've been trying to prepare to launch off this series on mission this week, the Holy Spirit has compelled me not to preach much, but to tell this story. Because I believe that it's a prophetic story for us as a family, but also for us as a family. I think this is something that God wants us to know as a family, as Jubilee family, that you carry something. That you've got something that is amazing and that it's attractive to people. It's like we were magnets to these people. Magnets. And I don't think that's just us. I think it's something that God, a a deposit of faith, an anointing that God wants to give us as a church. I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray that something of this story gets into you, that we learn how to carry this together as a church. And even if you're just visiting, grab it anyway, it's okay. Because prophetic is often what God highlights to you. If this, if this makes your heart beat fast and you feel excited, it's for you too. All right? So you grab it too. All right? So Holy Spirit, I just want to release the anointing now uh, to be a, a channel of your spirit, a channel of your peace, joy, and love. And your kingdom come through each member of this church and those that visit, those that hear on the web, Lord. I just pray for an anointing to go from here right now, an anointing of faith for the witness of Jesus, for your glory. Lord, would you commission us today on mission? Commission us for mission in Jesus' name. Amen.